0: Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast, our weekly show about how technology is changing the creative industries. Today on the program, design and fashion at Tech Arena. We are visiting Sweden's biggest tech event, the Tech Arena, that took place last week at the Swedish National Football Arena, Friends Arena in Stockholm. We will hear from entrepreneurs, innovators and investors on the show floor, among them Henrik Utendahl, co-founder of Reselo, Maria Smith, secretary general of Axe Foundation, Jonatan Tullberg, CEO of GS1 Sweden, Evelina Antila, CEO of well Street Ventures, and Jonas Kjellberg, co-founder of NorNorm, the furniture rental company. In this report from the Tech Arena, we'll take the temperature of the investment market and the struggle for startups to find capital. We'll talk about the need for new solutions for the textile industry, why rubber is about to be revolutionized, and can we make the furniture industry circular? As always, my name is Conrad Olson, editor-in-chief and founder of Scandinavian Mind. All right, let's get into it. What have we got? The Tech Arena. This is uh, another laser-ridden event happening now in Stockholm instead of Helsinki. I'm talking, of course, about Slush Helsinki, which for many years has been the leading tech event in the industry. This is something that Omid Eklasi, the founder of the Tech Arena, wants to change. Uh, I think it was back in September, he made a press release saying, why should all these Swedish entrepreneurs and investors go to Helsinki just to meet with each other? Shouldn't they be able to do it here in Stockholm? So basically, he decided to double his event, which was previously at the Waterfront Conference Center by the Central Station, moving it to the much, much bigger venue of Friends arena close to Mall of Scandinavia in Sol, north of the city of Stockholm. So how did they do? Well, I got to say, I love the event. Uh, I thought it was a great vibe. I met a lot of uh, interesting investors, uh, many of the most important ones I saw on the floor. We had Erik Carlson, head of H&M Ventures. We saw the founder of eEquity, Patrick Patrik Hedelin, uh, of course, also the CEO of of Wall Street Ventures, Evelyn Antela, which we'll hear from later in this episode. So, a bunch of investors, also a bunch of entrepreneurs. I really enjoyed uh, the pitch 40, 40 startups that were there to pitch their idea to uh, visiting investors and other stakeholders, among them Green Code Ventures, which I noticed was in the jury. Um, My only comment, which I did a little funny little video about on Instagram and LinkedIn, was what about the lasers? Why lasers? Why do the exact same visual effects that Slush is doing in Helsinki? Slush is known for its lasers. They're doing it really well. Uh, there's just a ton of lasers at the Slush event. Uh, the Stockholm event was approximately 20% of the amount of lasers that I experienced in Helsinki. So I just felt like it could be another kind of vibe doing it in Stockholm. I get that you want to kind of take the, the competition up with, with Slush, but maybe then you should differentiate. If they sig, you should sag. You should do something else. Uh, one comment on LinkedIn was, why not make it all about birch trees or something? Um, I, as much as I love the tech industry, I do feel it needs an upgrade in terms of its aesthetic uh, and as much as I like lasers, I do find them amusing, uh, but there should be another way of, of framing this. Uh, also, I don't know if you want to attract, you know, interesting uh, top speakers, international speakers, maybe uh, you need to offer something else. One of the things that attracts people to Stockholm is, of course, our nature, the closeness to water, all that. Couldn't that be in- integrated? It's actually funny to know that. note that... Uh, Both of the big tech events are in this dreadful months of November in Helsinki, in February in Stockholm. Couldn't anyone do this in a much beautiful session in May, perhaps? When I go to Sauna Lab, do their AI session in May. Just a lovely time to be in Stockholm. Anyway, anyway, this was a great event. They had some high-profile international uh, speakers. Um, Obviously, Al Gore was there. Steve Wozniak, founder of Apple, Jessica Mayer, one of our astronauts here from the Nordics, which was quite exciting. So I do feel like they, they put a good international level of the event. But of course, scanning in mind, we are mostly interested in the kind of fashion and design angle of things. And we did find a few gems uh, in the program and on the floor. Uh, one of them came from the Pitch 40 schedule, uh, his name is Henrik Utendahl. He's the co-founder of something called Reselo. Very interesting company that I've been keeping my eye on now for, for the last year. It's interesting because they have an innovation taking the bark of birch trees and making it into rubber, uh, creating an opportunity for sustainable rubber. I think, I don't know if you noticed, but no one in this kind of sneaker <laughs> sneaker side of things, sneaker industry, no one's talking about sustainability. wonder why. Uh all you have all this kind of uh, oil-based rubber made of these shoes Uh, the way the trends have gone the last decade the shoes are just getting bigger and bigger so big shoes oil-based rubber not good for the environment uh, but that's something that Resilu wants to change so here now Henrik Utendahl from (laughs) Resilu. All right, so I'm here uh, in front of the pitch stage with Henrik Utandal, co-founder and CEO of Recelo. Henrik, why are you here today?
1: We're here today for we are going to pitch on the Pitch 40 challenge, so that's uh, the scope for today. And tell us uh, about Recelo. Give me the short pitch here. The short pitch is very simple. We take residues from the forest industry and make a polymer, the Recelo rubber. And this
0: rubber can be used in uh, the lifestyle industry and that's what I found so interesting about you
1: guys. Talk to me about that. Exactly. So you can uh, have the rubber and you can replace, for example in the shoes you can replace this rubber in the sole. you can have it in sport gears, you can have it in fashion details. Uh, so everything where you have a polymer, you can replace that with uh, our rubber.
0: Exciting stuff. I think that's a field that no one is really looking at. There's been a very quiet from the sneaker industry with regards to sustainability. So I see a great opportunity there. Talk to me about this technology. How does it work?
1: What we do, we say that we isolate different kind of fractions in cellulose. So we have developed a process at Wallenberg Wood Science Center where we yeah, we isolate different kind of fractions and one of these fractions is really similar to the molecules in rubber and in polymers. And the uniqueness with polymers is that you can cure them to so create this kind of cross-linking which makes them really resistant against uh, abrasions and uh, solvents and everything that can affect it. So it's uh, Really uniqueness. Not to mix up with plastics because there are a lot of plastics out and also bioplastics. But this is new uniqueness when it comes to bio-based and sustainable rubber.
0: And how long have you been doing this? Since
1: 2020, so we are in the fourth year now.
0: And what are your next steps? What are you hoping to do uh, here at uh, Tecarena, but, but also in the next few years?
1: The next step is to find someone, industrial investors who want to join us in this really rubber revolution and to scale the production because we have a vast market demand. So now it's time to scale production.
0: Yeah. So the Tech Arena just started a couple hours ago, you're going to be on stage here in this afternoon.
1: Are you nervous? uh i would lie if i said i wasn't so i'm a little bit nervous but i think uh, i've done this quite a few times so hopefully i will manage this time as well
0: good luck today thank you henrik utendahl from reselo thank you very much all right that was henrik utendahl co-founder of reselo one of the most interesting talks i listened to was called sustainability traceability and transparency changing the future of business and on that talk, they discussed quite a lot of the challenges of the fashion industry. So it was moderated by Anne-Therese Gennari uh, uh, from The Climate Optimist, really thoughtful, good moderator. I hope to invite her on the podcast soon. Um, and on the panel, we had Jonatan uh, uh CEO of GS1 Sweden. Uh, who's doing a pilot project regarding DPPs, Digital Product Passports, together with Axe, Find- the Axe Foundation, whose Secretary-General Maria Smith was also on stage. So they had quite a lot to discuss around traceability of uh, fashion garments and the challenges around it. So I met up with both Maria and Jonathan after the panel. Uh, I'm going to let them speak for themselves. Here first, Maria Smith, uh, Secretary-General of Axe Foundation. All right, so I'm here with Maria Smith now, Secretary-General of Axe Foundation, who just came off stage talking about traceability a lot in the fashion industry, which excited me. So this is a a topic we cover quite a lot in Scandinavian Mind. So talk about why this is important for the Axe Foundation to begin with.
2: Well, uh, we have the, the mission to develop practical solutions to complex sustainability challenges. And in order to transform the society and transform business value chains there has to be traceability and transparency. That's a prerequisite for the fashion industry but also for other industries. So this is a very important topic and a very important problem to solve
0: and talk about how you engage I know you're running pilot projects we're here in the GS1 uh, stand here you're collaborating with them and talk about your pilot projects on this issue
2: well right now we have uh, this project uh, the fiber traceability initiative where we together with partners such as GS1 and, and fashion brands and also a data platform provider are addressing the value chain of wool as a proof of concept of course it can be adopted. when we succeed it will be able to adopt also in other industries. Yeah.
0: So we're standing here this is a wonderful wool sweater by Philippa Ka uh, which are partners to this. Um, when you're working with the industry, I'm sure Philippa K is far ahead they know work a lot with sustainability. How do you see the fashion industry their attitude towards some of these issues? Are they optimistic scared? Uh, what do you see?
2: Well, we work with the fashion industry, but also other industries. And I would say that the fashion the fashion industry is really there in the forefront. There's a, in general, a big a high ambition when it comes to sustainability because of course that's uh, um, in order for them to be able to have their business in the future they have to come up with the solutions of of how to run that kind of business uh, right now so I would say there's a really big interest from the fashion industry and I, I, I personally think that there are so many good role models from the fashion industry as well that other sectors can can look up to Um, So I'm glad that we have that collaboration with those partners within the industry.
0: What major challenges do you see for the fashion industry in in doing this? Uh, what, What are the obstacles they need to figure out?
2: I mean, it's in general quite complex supply chains, uh, so that's a, a tricky part. How c- it's not just sort of, okay, let's uh, gather data and share data. No, no, no. It's, you have to get a lot of actors on board from your value chain when it comes to traceability and transparency. That's that's one challenge. And, and then it comes to us, consumers. Uh, in general, consumers are aware and want to to take part of this journey and also be, be more sustainable that we as consumers also have to adopt and adjust and that can be tricky as a brand or a fashion organization. How do we get the consumers, the customers, on board as well? So, um, yeah, there are a lot of challenges related to sort of the traceability, transparency issue. But I'm, I'm sure we will figure it out together.
0: Wonderful. So what we cover quite a lot with, with our platform is the kind of intersection of, of fashion and technology. And that's not always the, kind of an easy fit. Uh, there two different types of industries that have to understand each other uh, to kind of move Move forward with this kind of common goal of, of you know we need to make things tra- uh, traceable transparent needs huge technological investments uh, and in an industry where the, the technological maturity, it's, maybe it's not even there yet, uh, at least from my perspective. How do you see that? How do you build these bridges? Because you need a lot of collaboration between these different types of industries.
2: I will say that's the core of AXE Foundation, to gather actors from the different parts of a sector or from maybe additional other sectors. And I think what's really um, sort of the key in making these kind of collaborations work is that everybody needs to understand what's in it for me. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it, it's change management, but uh, as, as far as, from my perspective, we, we have been talking about collaboration for so long, but not really much has happened. But now this is starting to happen, and I'm so glad because it's not, I mean, solving uh um, constru- constructing a circular and a sustainable value chain it doesn't just take one actor it takes a lot of actors and therefore this collaboration it's 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 key going forward
0: all right that was maria smith from axe foundation and after the panel as i mentioned i also met up with jonathan tullberg He's the CEO of GS1 Sweden. So uh, listeners of this podcast know that we've had uh, Jonathan's colleague Staffan Olsson on this podcast before talking about digital product passports. I think what Jonathan spoke about both on the panel and in this interview was really interesting, which is about creating kind of value for consumers and for fashion brands. Uh, when you start digitizing things we obviously talked about this at length with natasha frank from eon in the podcast just a couple of episodes ago uh but i, was, I took now the chance to speak to uh gs1 sweden ceo i've never met before uh jonathan Turberg. uh so here now jonathan tulberg
3: Well, I think I think the starting point for a lot of companies is, as you say, we talk about legislation, regulation that's connected to ESG and sustainability, and, and this is something all product manufacturing producers will will will, will be facing. Um, and as part of that, they're going to need to start understanding more about their traceability, understand more about their value chain. Now, that allow that is a lot of information to gather, a lot of data points, and and you can see if you see it as ESG reporting well then you don't really capture any value. But if you look at that data, it integrated as part of your business, it, can allow, it enables you to do a lot of other cool things. And I, and I, I don't think it's, it's um, a lot of investors today, they say they see a very strong correlation between corporate sustainability performance and financial performance. And why is that? Um, and, and of course they then use sustainability data as rationale for investment decision and I think the reason for that is if you can couple having the data in place and knowing how to use it well then you create something called ESG intelligence and ESG intelligence not only allows you to report on regulation it not only allows you to meet consumer needs but it also does a lot of other cool things it allows you to stay ahead of the game it allows you to look a bit more in the future so you can capture opportunities you see there it allows you with traceability in your value chain you can drive efficiency in your value chain so I read a McKinsey study saying that you can increase operating profit by as much as 60% by just having traceability in your value chain it allows you to track the right talents so you have the right people in your organization and it allows you to build your brand and drive your competitive advantage so you just need to move away from seeing
0: it as a reporting tool to an intelligence tool I like that 60% that's that's quite a lot yes Uh, we're covering this topic quite a lot from the fashion industry perspective you are in some exciting pilot projects you talked about it on stage with the Axe Foundation Um, in your mind you know working with the textile and fashion industry how do you see the kind of Readiness for these issues. What are the concerns? Uh, are they excited about it? Worried? How do you see it? Well, so GS1 is an industry neutral. So we
3: work with all the industries, um, and I and I think it's you can, some com- some industries are more ahead of, than others. Uh, some com- so industries is differs. Companies within industries differs. So so it's very hard to say one specific uh, area in there. The great thing is things are happening everywhere so we're starting to learn we're starting to understand and i was asked if it's complex yes it's complex it's difficult but everyone will be facing it and we have the tools we just need to start implementing these tools uh, maria talked about uh, this sweater so this sweater we've been where we it's a project with philippa k and, and X foundation where we've been able to follow and trace all the wool going into this sweater all the way to south africa from many different farms and how it travels through five different countries and we followed it everywhere so we know exactly the traceability on this one,
0: which is super cool. So it can be done, it is being done, it just need to spread to more. Right. So uh, advice, you know, I talk to a lot of fashion brands who are actually worried and are unsure of how to approach this. What can GS1 do to, to help uh, uh, the industry? Uh, how would you, how would one company start if you want to learn more?
3: Uh, well, I, I also talked a bit about this. I think for me, I see it as three levels. And you need to start to build your foundation strong. If you start by trying to do something on top to use data that you don't have, you're going to fail. So start by setting a clear way of standardized way of gathering information, because it's a lot of data. And if you cannot get it standardized, you'll have bad data quality. And if you cannot automate it, it will take a lot of resources to gather. So start with the foundation. Once you get there, make sure everyone in your organization, this is not a supply chain challenge, this is an organizational opportunity. So make sure your strategy team, your brand team, everyone has access to this data, because that's when you really start to be able to use it. So get it standardized, gather it in an efficient way and make sure we start using it. That's the three levels.
0: All right, that was Jonathan Tullberg, CEO of GS1 Sweden. So what about the investment landscape right now? I'm working with uh, a, you a know, handful of startups that are looking to raise money right now. Could be quite tricky. There are a lot of hesitation in the market. Uh, from you know uh, you know the war uh, the interest rates the general mood has let many investors become more hesitant everything takes much longer there is money on the market but it just takes much longer and i wanted to talk to one of the investors about this Uh, so i met up with well street ventures venture fund here in stockholm sweden that i know since before and have worked with we've also had well Street's Jessica Rameau on the transformation conference. Uh, so I met with Jessica's uh boss, I, I guess, uh the CEO, Evelina Antila, to talk about uh the investment market uh in Stockholm and the Nordics right now. Here now Evelina Antila from Well Street Ventures.
4: Oh there's so many interesting and exciting things on the horizon uh, and you know what they say in a sort of like a downturn it's actually um, a, a great space where people and sort of companies can, can thrive obviously it's more challenging uh, but we think it's super interesting everything's happening right now with AI for example and not necessarily sort of to jump on the AI hype bandwagon but more sort of looking into operationally how can companies use AI to sort of make processes more efficient and solve the big problems and challenges that we have.
0: So I was going to get to that, what is your take on the market right now? Everyone here is talking about it's slower than it used to be and yeah. like, compared to a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, I know you are also fundraising at the same time you're investing, so you're, you're I kind of sens- you're feeling it too, I guess, or, yeah. or am I right?
4: Yeah, yeah exactly, um, which I think is sort of good to some extent. Uh, you sort of feel what it's like to be in those shoes. Uh, no, and as you say, it, it is a tougher market, it's more challenging, and which is also important to sort of go back to the basics and sort of build good companies. And What's, what is it all about? Yeah, you, you need to solve a problem that is a big problem for many people and to, to sort of find a good solution to that. So I think, I mean, to some extent we are right now in a market correction obviously it's tough for many people for many companies uh, but I also think that we can sort of find a good opportunities in here
0: Right. sounds very sensible everything you're saying uh, I know that's kind of been your approach as an investor you want to create kind of sound companies and yeah. you're not necessarily jumping on every new thing uh, what's what's what makes you stand out do you think among other VCs
4: I think to some extent as you mentioned we, n- we don't necessarily look for the next unicorn, sort of growth to, to sort of whatever it takes. Uh, we like companies that commercialize quite quickly, uh, companies that are building um, sustainable businesses not only from an environmental societal perspective but also f- from a fi- financial perspective. Uh, and which I also think that now that we see that profit is something that, and unit economics is, is something that people are looking at uh, more actively, I think that's sort of that's sound.
0: Mm. And finally, what does a startup need to do in order to catch your attention? Name one thing.
4: It's all about the founders. Uh, It's all about the founders. And I mean, the first meetings we have, we just want to get to know you. Why do you do what you do? What's sort of your passion? Uh, Because, I mean, ideas, there are many ideas and we can solve it along the way, but it's all about the grit.
0: Alright, that was Evelina Antela, CEO of Well Street Ventures. Alright, closing out this laser ridden episode, I actually also managed to speak to a design company on the floor of the Tech Arena. Uh, this was Nor Norm, a furniture rental company founded by uh, people from none other than IKEA. So I guess they have a lot going for them in terms of longevity. People who observe this space know that there's a company called Beleco uh, also promising kind of like the Spotify of furniture, uh, making furniture subscribable for uh, companies. Uh, This is something that is a hot topic in the industry right now. Uh, Can you create a different business model for, for furniture that's sustainable, more circular, that leads us to take care of our furniture more long term, throw away less etc. Uh, I met with one of the co-founders of NorNorm, a guy named Jonas Kjellberg uh, to talk about this concept. Here now, Jonas Kjellberg of NorNorm.
5: Well, it's super simple. We uh, we have a subscription for office furniture. Why should you have a static office when you can have a flexible that you can change constantly? So we basically take took an AWS kind of solution to how do you Furniture that is constantly dynamic and it's part of the subscription so that you can change. And you come from both
0: the tech industry and the furniture industry in the kind of founding um, uh, people. Can you talk a little bit about the backgrounds going into this project?
5: Yeah, well, I'm more of a tech entrepreneur and have been part of a lot of unicorns and then taken that perspective and then built a lot of tech. And then I think that my other co founders are either investment bankers or also from IKEA and uh, come from the furniture industry and we said okay why you know, why should you not be able to have a subscription on office furniture why should you buy that that doesn't make sense from a sustainability perspective so we buy used stuff or we produce with used material so as a journalist i get pitched this is spotify
0: of pretty often so it's kind of a usual pitch uh, what i found interesting with you guys and and i'm, I'm assuming it a little bit so talk, i'm here to talk about it is that for me if you want to reach some kind of sustainability uh, effect of what you're doing you
5: have to do it at scale so talk about why scale is important well i think i think we started this at scale with ikea as one of our founding investors and we now have you know ramsbury and uh, also verdane behind us i think we've raised 110 million euros in seed i think i think many of these business models you need to get to scale because i think there's a lot of startups that get caught subscale and i think also the unit economics actually drives a much better perspective of getting to scale so um, i think for us that has been important so that's why we're now in 15 countries i think we have more than 1500 clients uh, we have furnished more than 300,000 square meters of office space in a very short time so of course it has been more of that kind of large attempt to really crack and i think if we really want to crack the circularity aspect of what we want to do we need to actually make money for our investors, but also create a great product. And that you need a lot of money, a lot of people for it. But of course, when that is built, that enables scalability.
0: All right. So these cardboard boxes everywhere yeah. here in your stands talking about circular furniture. Yeah. So describe to me why this model is circular and the benefits compared to businesses buying their own
5: furniture. Well, I think for, first of all, I think our pledge is that we, you cannot buy our stuff so we only you can only have them as a subscription and then we try to buy used furniture but we also produce new furniture with used material so really cl- keeping both of these closed loops but i think the first thing you need to ask yourself stop with a linear model and start with a fully circular model Got it. And talk about
0: your company, based both in Sweden and Denmark, from my understanding. There's also kind of a Nordic approach in the terms of the furniture you are leasing yeah. or renting
5: or yeah. subscribing. Why is the Nordic angle so important for you? Well, I think we have that heritage. I think we have a lot of people coming from IKEA. I think it's super important for us not to follow short-term trends. Mm-hmm. We need to you know, create a design that a lot of people love, but also that can live for 80, 90, 100 years so that the pieces we bring into the subscription should actually be able to be rented out over and over and again because we only offer as good as new we don't offer new stuff so in just down here I see some
0: Danish furniture brand design brands Uh, what's stopping you from just producing
5: everything yourself we produce some of our stuff ourselves in, in the, you know in conjunction with the ks factories mm-hmm. so we produce our first sofa for example because we couldn't find one with sustainability perspective producing a lot of our own uh, tabletops for um, for our desks with used material are uh, we're coming out with a task chair now as well which is done by 90 percent used plastics so we're actually using that to drive down prices but also see how we can use uh, minimize the use of uh, virgin material as well.
0: So you raised uh, a lot of money. You're in
5: 15 countries. Yeah. Uh, what are your hopes for the next, uh, let's say, couple of years? What do you want to achieve? Well, I think you know. I, I say you know the the office furniture market is larger than the taxi market on an annual basis. So I think if we're not bigger than Uber in 10 years, I think we've really utterly misjudged the possibility.
0: All right, that was Jonas Hjalberg, co-founder of Nor Norm on the show floor of the Tech Arena in Stockholm last week. So before I close out, I just want to thank everyone that showed up to our virtual creativity live event at the Lincoln Co showroom last week. Successful event talking about the future of photography through kind of the lens of AI. So much stuff happening in that space at the moment. And it's going to be exciting to share that conversation in the podcast feed in a couple of uh, weeks. Also uh, to say that the next session of Virtual Creativity Live happens on March 20 at the Lincoln Co. showroom as per usual. So Virtual Creativity Live happens again March 20. Do sign up to our newsletter. Visit scandalamerman.com newsletter not to miss out on that invite alright that was it for today till next week bye